Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, May 1st, 2019. We're going to do a sermon review in this episode. The whole episode will be dedicated to the sermon review. Note modifications in how we do our program. We still do sermon reviews, but they are periodic. Maybe once a week, something like that. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down. Stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Uh, No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, (gasps) self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God? Yeah, we're that. how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that is put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, and there's a whole lot of people who are not qualified at all, even in the remotest sense of the word, to be teaching and preaching God's Word, and yet they do, uh, they do, And they shouldn't be, and we demonstrate that on this episode. Now, what we're going to do today is we will be doing a sermon review. The whole program will be dedicated to it. There will be a break, you know, somewhere in the middle-ish of the the sermon itself. You you kind of get the idea. And uh, so rather than having sermon reviews, uh, you know, on a daily basis, uh, you know, as part of a normal program, now it's being moved into the one... One hour-ish, you'll notice I get a little long on my hours, Uh, the one hour-ish episodes that we're putting forward, moving forward here at Fighting for the Faith. Now, just a reminder, I want to remind you that that we will be having the worst Easter sermon of the year contest. We will be having that the week of May 13th, I think is the, uh, let's see, May, yeah, 13th of May is when that will be uh, happening, so you can still send in your... um, in fact, still send in, send in your uh, submissions for consideration for this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest. The whole <laughs> the whole week will be dedicated to it. It's just going to be miserable, is the best way 
<laughs> oh, I can't wait to listen to all these bad Easter sermons. Uh, yeah, and, and yes, we do preview each and every submission, so that's part of it. And uh, and then uh, reserve the date uh, in August, in the uh, month of August, second weekend of August, we will be holding our um, Pirate Christian Radio Conference. It is a free conference to attend. There is no cost for you to attend at all, at least as far as uh, Pirate Christian Media is concerned. You will have to buy your own hotel rooms and things like that. But uh, the um, the dates are in August 9th and 10th in Swansea, Swansea in Wales in the United Kingdom. We will be at Siloam Church there uh, August 9th and 10th. And so this is the time for you to make your reservations and uh, come join us. Hang out with us. It's uh, you know, myself, Pastor Gervais, Nicholas Edward Charmley, Carrie Ferguson is going to be there, and uh, at least one or two other guest speakers, and we'll give you details on that as we get closer to the event. We do not have a sign-up page yet, and you'll note we try to keep our conferences small and we try to keep them intimate. You know, the idea here is is that if you'd like to come and meet me, uh, meet our guests, meet uh, meet the other listeners, things like that, this gives you the opportunity to do that. So set aside the date, start making your plans, maybe contact, you know, get on hotels.com and uh, and figure out uh, which hotel you're going to stay at there in Swansea. And uh, and then we will be uh, there the ninth and the tenth, and it'll be a great time uh, to to meet with y'all and to hear some lectures along the lines of biblical discernment and uh, current apologetic issues. That's that's the idea. So let's talk about what we're going to do in the episode today. It's a sermon review. We're going to be heading down to Woodlake Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we're going to be listening to Jamie Austin. Now, this is a guy who's embraced the seeker-driven methodology that you've got to make the church relevant. And so the name of the sermon is Shipwrecked. The name of the sermon is Shipwrecked. In fact, let me do this. I don't want to deviate too far from this. Um, let, let's uh, steer into our sermon review by doing what we normally do here, and uh, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, there we go. That's a little more like it. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Woodlake Church, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Vision casting leader Jamie Austin presiding. Name of the sermon is Shipwrecked. Now, a little bit of a note. There is a notable shipwreck in Scripture. It's found in the book of Acts, and it's uh, the shipwreck that the Apostle Paul and Luke himself, the author of Acts, uh, experienced. But that's not what we're going to be hearing about. So as we listen to Jamie Austin, he's chosen the topic of shipwrecked in order to basically warn people against shipwrecking their lives by, well, he's going to say making mistakes, when in fact what he's really discussing are sins, and as a result of this, he's not going to properly distinguish between the law, which convicts us of our sins, and the gospel, which proclaims to us that Christ has bled and died for our sins. The best way I can put it is is that the reason why this is a bad sermon 
is because this is merely a an attempt at sin prevention. But each and every one of us has gone a little bit way more than a little bit, way farther than just you know coming close to sinning and not doing it. Each and every one of us has grievously broken God's commandments and is in need of hearing the call to repent and to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. So with that, let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Jamie Austin and his sermon titled Shipwrecked. Here we go. With us to Woodlake, we're glad you are part of the family today. Woodlakers, give all of our guests a huge round of applause. If you're watching online, thank you. We begin a new series entitled Shipwreck Today. Now, you're going to notice the next couple of weeks, the tone of these messages are going to be a little, little direct. But there are moments when we go to God's Word. It always brings encouragement. It always brings freedom. But how many of there are just some points in our life we need to be sharpened by the Word of God? I'm going to put it in plain. All right, so notice that Jamie is saying that, you know, the, the, the sermon is going to be a little bit more direct. But the thing is, I'm going to argue it's not direct enough. Mm-hmm. And um, not only is it not direct enough in dealing with the sin problem that we all have and our rebellion against God, is the solution that he's going to put forward is not going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that Christ has bled and died for us. We continue, though. Plain English. There, that wasn't so plain, was it there? Sorry. Um, plain English. Um, some messages feel better than others. This is going to feel good, but in a bad sort of way. Okay? Shipwrecked. Okay. Um, in the early morning hours of April 15th... So now he's steering into the sermon itself, and he's... He, by the way, he has, you know... <clears throat> he's got, you know, a nautical theme going on on stage. I mean, even the, sur- the you know, the... The pulpit is a helm at this point. You know, it looks like he stole the thing from Gilligan's Island here. 1912. The RMS Titanic struck an iceberg and sank. So notice he's starting off with the Titanic when, again, there is a notable shipwreck in the Scriptures. Over 1,500 people perished in the icy cold waters of the North Atlantic, making it the deadliest maritime disaster. It's an interesting story. A lot of things that go into it. But history tells us that on many fronts, many ways, that this collision, this shipwreck, could have been avoided. Now... Some of you remember in 1997, the movie that came out, Titanic. Now, I know we're holy people and you didn't go to movie theaters because those roofs of those movie theaters were like rapture proof. So you didn't go. But I'm here to tell you there was a movie out called The Titanic. How many of you remember this? I immediately regret the decision to do that. I'll just tell you that right now. Don't act like some of you hadn't stood on the front of a boat and just done this and taken, <laughs> taken a picture. Okay. Um, the fictional account of, of, of uh, this movie was a fictional account of what actually happened. And I believe there are a lot of parallels. If we're not careful, if we don't 
take heed of warning signs, if we don't make the necessary course correction in our life, the potential to wreck our marriage, wreck our finances, wreck our reputation, wreck our kids, wreck our families. Come on, somebody. The potential to have a major wreck in our life is there if we don't pay attention. Now, I got to point this out. And you'll note then, he's not dealing with sin straight up as sin. And that, and this comes to the fact that each and every one of us has fallen woefully short of the glory of God. We've each, each of us have transgressed God's commandments and stand guilty before him. And so you'll note then what he's trying to basically get into the minds of the people there at Woodlake is uh, do what it takes to avoid the major sins. I, you know, at this point, I gotta assume that adultery is on the table. From the sounds of it, wreck your finances. I'm, I don't know, spend yourself into oblivion. You know, I think this is what he's talking about. Uh, ruin your reputation, you know, by compromising and things like this. Uh, granted, you know, major sins have those types of of you know ramifications uh, in the here and the now. The issue, though, is is that that little white lie that you told is sinful enough to send you to hell. You know, the, you, in fact, all of your good works are even soiled with sin. That being the case, your good, your best good works could send you to hell. And so we're not, so notice we're just getting an encouragement to kind of avoid, uh, the, 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 the deadly sins, you know, adultery, gluttony, you know, just work it all out. But uh, I think you kind of get the idea. And this is not quite that helpful. And I'll note then that what he's preaching is the law, which means, that you know, just work the statistics out. You know, you know, if if there's 200 people in his audience, 500 people in his audience, a thousand people in his audience, then already you're going to have a percentage of people that are present who have committed major sins or may be in um, in the habit of doing it presently. Just kind of work that all out. And so by preaching the law, he's going to condemn them where they stand for transgressing God's holy law in these ways. But the purpose of the law is to show us our sin. The purpose of the law is not to make it so that we say, oh, you know, oh boy, I, I'm really messing up. I need to clean up my act. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to show that you're guilty. And then you need to hear the gospel, the good news that although you have transgressed God's holy law, you deserve Hell, Christ has taken God's punishment for you. He's stood in as your substitute, and he's gone to the cross, and he's bled and died for all of your sins. And so you need to repent. Recognize that what you've done is sinful and wrong. Change your mind. That's what repent means. And trust now in the forgiveness and mercy won by Christ who can save even you. That's the idea. Let's see what uh, Jamie does with this. Amen. In fact, when the word reached the New York office of the White Star Line, the owners and operators of the Titanic, the vice president of the ocean liner made this statement. He said, we place 
absolute confidence in the Titanic, we believe the boat is unsinkable. We are in a dangerous place when we think we're unsinkable. When we think our sobriety is unsinkable. Amen? When we think our marriage, when we think uh, uh, our reputation, when we think at any point in time we are untouchable, unsinkable, that is a dangerous place to be. So I want to challenge the Woodlake family over the next couple of weeks. This, I want this message series to just serve as a reminder of our complete dependency on the Lord. We never, we never outgrow our need for the Lord's help. Somebody say amen. Now, I believe this is illustrated perfectly. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, King David... All right, 2 Samuel 11, we're going to deal with uh, David and Bathsheba. And which I think is a very strange place for him to go with a sermon theme the way he's working this. Up in years, he had been victorious over all of his enemies. He was in one last battle with the Ammonites. And he had beaten them all the way back to their fortified city at Rabah. And then wintertime hits. So theoretically, there was about three months of cold weather. And we're going to kind of break that down in just a moment. Where David and the armies of Israel were taking a break, so to speak. But then springtime comes. Verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11 reads like this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men. And the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of a palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. She had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Battles stopped when it got cold. There was a reason for this. The wear and tear on the armies, the amount of supplies necessary to keep the army fed and healthy. The supply routes got difficult to travel during those times. So it was customary back in those days that if you were going to go to war, you did it in the springtime. You did it when things were warming up, when resources were a little more uh, plentiful, when, when the travel was easier. And I've often wondered what happened to King David in these winter months? What happened to this man who was a man after God's own heart? I mean, this was David and Goliath, David. Anybody tracking with me? This was David who ran from Saul. David still has a sin nature, just like the rest of us at this point ultimately became king who had incredible victories as a boy all the way through his manhood and now in this moment what happened in these winter months that caused him to change the way he operated 
David made a mistake. No, David sinned. He did not make a mistake. You do not refer to these as mistakes. He flat out despised the word of the Lord, broke the commandment that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And ultimately, he's also going to break the commandment that says, thou shalt not murder. So, yeah, this is this is not merely an oopsie or a slipsie or a mistakesie. This is a flat-out egregious sin. With Bathsheba. Costly mistake. Sin. Mistake, if you study Scripture, actually followed him the rest of his days. Now, what's fascinating here is that he, Jamie seems to be unaware of how the rest of the story unfolds. We'll get to that in a minute, but there's more to it than he just got Bathsheba pregnant. He'll end up murdering Uriah the Hittite, but there's far more to the story than that. In fact, his daughter was raped as a result of this mistake. One son sin murdered another son as a result of this mistake. Sin. Another son actually tried to overthrow his own father, and, and David almost lost the kingdom. Why? Because of this one mistake. Sin. It's a sin. It's not a mistake. In fact, if you're familiar with Scripture at all, just as David's name is synonymous with Goliath, it is also forever connected with Bathsheba. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment. I was reading an article some time ago of a man who was speaking at the funeral of his friend. His friend had taken his own life. The man that had taken his own life had had a successful life, successful businessman, had done great things, not only in business, but for the kingdom of God. And at the end of his life, he had had an affair, and the affair cost him everything. His marriage, his family, ultimately his reputation. Ultimately led him to the point of taking his own life. So I was reading this article of his friend giving the eulogy and talking about what's going on. He, he made this comment that has stuck with me. He said, 99% of my friend's life was lived successfully. He said, the sad part about it is he will be remembered for the 1%. Let me pause again for just a moment. If you are here today and you have made mistakes, if you're here today and they are sin if you're here and you've made mistakes. Jamie, one hundred percent of the people in attendance at your church have sinned and broken God's commandments. You are still suffering the consequences of those mistakes and sins. Life is difficult, even though there's a smile on your face, maybe even though God has restored some things in your life. I want to pause here for just a moment, and I want you to be encouraged. We serve a God whose name in the Hebrew... All right, so we're supposed to be encouraged, and I hope the next thing coming out of your mouth will be encouragement by way of comfort by reminding everybody that Christ has bled and died for these sins. They're not mistakes. One of his names is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals and the God who restores. 
And if you're here today and maybe you're suffering the consequences, you're watching online and you're suffering maybe some consequences of some bad decisions, I want you to be of good... Bad decisions. Sins. They're called sins. If you are a child of the living God, he is so good at putting the pieces back together. Amen? Well, Jamie, you don't know how bad I've messed my life up. I've broken the pieces. There is absolutely no way. Scripture says this of the Lord. He's that call things as not as though they were and brings life. Notice he's overlooking like complete. It's like it's not even on his radar. This, the gospel is not there. God can restore. Yeah, well, tell me about what Jesus did. The God who heals by his stripes. We are healed. I think we need to hear about what Christ has done for us. God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He received the chastisement that brought us peace, shalom with God. Mm-hmm. To the dead. Amen. He can work miracles. But none of us in here who have made those devastating errors would ever go back and say, They're sins, not errors. Oh, I'm glad I made that mistake. <laughs> Again, it's a sin. Because I believe the Lord is speaking to the Woodlake family about avoiding some potential shipwrecks in our life. What would? All right. So, so this is all about avoiding potential shipwrecks. <clears throat> now it's time to do a little biblical work. If you have your Bible, let's open up, and we'll take a look at the the resolve here. 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and then if you want to look ahead, uh, the next passage we'll look at after that is Psalm 51, Psalm 51. So let's take a look, 2 Samuel chapter 12, this is after David has impregnated uh, Bathsheba, has had Uriah the Hittite murdered. Uh, in a way that looks like, you know, he just died in war, died in battle, uh, but nothing could be further from the truth. And so he looks like he's gotten away with it. So Second Samuel chapter 12, Yahweh sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, it grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as, as Yahweh lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done what is evil in his sight? Notice Nathan doesn't use the language that Jamie is using here. Nathan didn't go, 
why did you make this mistake, David? No, he says you've done what's evil and you've despised the uh, the word of the Lord. You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. So you'll note that when confronted with the evil that he committed, Nathan doesn't shave off the hard edges. It's as negative as negative gets. The verdict is as authentic and to the point as it could possibly be. No softening the blow for David. And what does David do? He confesses his sin and he receives an absolution from Nathan the prophet. The Lord has put away your sin. You are forgiven. And so notice that this is missing from this shipwrecked sermon. This is all about sin prevention. But everybody there, and every one of you listening to this podcast, you all have sinned grievously against God. You may not have committed adultery or murdered somebody, at least not physically. You have done so in your heart and in your mind. Jesus makes this very clear in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you even look at another person with lust lust in your heart and your eyes, well, you've already committed adultery with that person. Or that your anger has exceeded the bounds of Scripture. You've already committed murder. You know, you're, you're guilty of these sins. And so the question now comes in, what about those who have committed these sins? And each and every one of us has sinned grievously against God and done what is evil in his sight and have despised his word and despised him in the process. Well, David confessed his sin and he received an absolution from Nathan. And then consider what happens next. No sooner does Nathan the prophet leave, he leaves the palace, that David pulls out pen and parchment and he writes these words Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me and against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
and then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You get the idea. You can read the rest of the psalm. Again, Psalm 51. And so you'll note the resolve is sin, confessing sins, being forgiven. What does First John say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we sinners, even though we are Christians, we still sin. It is not merely about preventing sin. And by the way, avoiding sin and preventing it is a vital part of Christianity. You know, we have been set free from bondage, slavery to sin, death, and the devil, and we should not continue to walk in sin. And at the same time, we struggle and fight against it and fall short woefully on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, daily basis. You kind of get the idea. All of that being said, the solution then is daily repenting, being forgiven, walking in that forgiveness and mercy and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance in our life. That's the idea. But Jamie here has got us focused in a different direction. You know, we're, we're, we're all about mistake prevention here. And he doesn't want people to shipwreck their lives by making mistakes. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we, we as Christians don't make mistakes, we sin, and, you know, avoiding them is important, but also, also, hearing that Christ has bled and died for those sins, not mistakes, is also vital, and we need to continually have Christ and Him crucified for our sins, held before us by our pastors, so that we do not despair in the midst of our own sin and weakness. We continue. David, tell us today. If he were here today, I believe he would say this. Our greatest weakness is to deny our weakness. Verse 1. In the springtime when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's man and the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. Something happened differently in the way David operated he would have normally been on the battlefield, leading from the front. That's who he was. He was a leader. But, but for some reason, he decided to sit this one out. In fact, David's ultimate flub up right here with Bathsheba was a result of his proximity. Somebody say amen. And most of us, the mess ups in our life. Have it's not merely about proximity. It's also due to the fact he has a sinful nature like the rest of us. Again, the gospel is the solution here. Do with, with, with whom we associate with and where we go. Would you agree? So it is important to recognize that we have weaknesses. We have areas that we struggle with. And without the Lord's help, we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. But We fail daily. Can we do? I've always said this, do what you can do and let God do what God does. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. If he would have just gone to war, if he would have just led from the front, if he would have just stayed in the right 
position. David would say, it's foolish to think that your marriage, your mind, your sobriety, your reputation are untouchable, unsinkable. That's a lie. In fact, Proverbs... Yeah, but there's no biblical text that says that's what David felt about himself. This pride goes before a fall. I love how the message version says it. It says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Yeah, but again, uh, this isn't about David being arrogant. Nope. In May of 2017, there was an article released that listed off the top reasons for an affair, places where affairs start. I'm sorry. Top place was in the office. Relationships happen. They cross boundaries. The second was the gym. Some of you are like, I ain't got to worry about that. No. Uh. <laughs> All right. The third place was social media. 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 What I want to challenge this church family with is set boundaries. Amen? Jamie, the world is going to think I'm crazy if I start setting these boundaries. Again, not a bad idea to set boundaries, but what about the person who hasn't set these boundaries and now they already know that they've committed adultery in their heart or fallen short or they, they've, they've compromised their sobriety. You just start naming the sins here. You know, they, they, or they set the boundaries and setting a boundary didn't keep them from falling back into a sin. I believe our society, man, sets us up for failure all the time. Maybe you're in a work situation where you've got... Yeah, okay, so the world is part of the problem. You know, our temptations come via the devil, the world, as well as our own sinful flesh. You see, it, it, you got to understand the temptation to sin, sin begins inside of your own heart. And so the world can tempt you to sin, the devil can tempt you, tempt you to sin... But over and again, that sin burbles up from within you. Even if the world and the devil weren't whispering in your ears or influencing you, you'd still be steering towards sin and still committing sin. Travel long distances. Maybe you have to ride in a car alone with somebody of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. That's dangerous. Well, James, Yeah, dangerous and foolish, too. I agree. That's just the way it is. Maybe it's time that we start setting some boundaries. Somebody say amen. World's going to think we're crazy if I get off social media. Do you know what? It will set you free. Getting off social media will not solve your sin problem. How many of you would have, you'd have time to go to the gym? <laughs> social media went to the gym and had an affair. <sighs> <laughs> I think social media is such an addictive behavior. You don't need to be on there all the time. I'm not saying it's not a good tool. That's not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's not a good way to connect and communicate. What I am trying to say is we need boundaries, okay? 
married people, you don't have to friend your ex from high school. Yeah, it's strange that you would have to say that. Hashtag dumb. Yeah, I don't know anybody who would friend, a, you know, an ex-girlfriend from high school that could do so without knowing that they've crossed a line doing that. All right, so here's what we're going to do. All right, so, uh, you know, in the new format, we're going to actually pause our sermon right there. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, go to our first and only break today. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. More of this shipwreck of a sermon, pun intended. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning for the written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. Hello, I'm here to see a Mr. Gary Sunshine. I received a telegram last week. Oh, of course. Just give me a moment. Mr. Sunshine, your 10 o'clock is here. Is that a tin can on a string? Oh, our intercom system doesn't reach where he is. I see. Sunshine, your 10 o'clock. Hi, this is Gary Sunshine. If you're hanging, I'm not dead yet. Please bring food. This has not been a recording. Leave your message after the twig. Really, Gary, there's a man here to see you. A Mr. Uh, what was your name, honey? Lionel Duncan. A Mr. Lionel Duncan? Oh, forgive me, Brittany. I'm just finishing up my last one. Just, uh, send him down. Oh, and give him a flashlight. I didn't get a flashlight. And you don't need one. We're done for the day. Hurry, or you'll miss your... Your, uh, to the Rockies. Uh, take the elevator down, follow the path, and, uh, don't look back. What? Here's your lantern. Thanks.
Hello? I'm so glad you received my message and could make it down here to see us. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Come in, come in. Have a seat. Lionel Duncan, right? Mr. Duncan is fine. Of course. Well, Mr. Duncan, I'm sure you are aware of why we contacted you. Actually, no. Oh, I thought it would have been obvious. Not really. The telegram wasn't very specific. Okay, if I needed to spell this out. Mr. Duncan, you've always been a very active member of our congregation. An outstanding one, in fact. You're a personal friend with many who attend here. You've participated in our outreach programs, occasionally filled in for a praise band. You've religiously tithed. I mean, you're... Three consecutive Holy Guacamole Awards from the Church Barbecue Association speaks for themselves. I consider myself a big fan. Thank you. So, what's the problem? I was hoping you could tell me. You haven't attended our church in over three months. I don't follow. Let me consult the questionnaire. Did you at any point feel uncomfortable or unwelcome during uh, prayer circles, prayer ovals, or parallelograms? I'm preferential to the prayer rhombus myself. Not particularly. Did you find something offensive or controversial within our service? No. Have you ever been insulted or personally attacked at this church? Can you give me an example? Have you ever been called a baby, donkey, bus, or wankle rotary engine? Say what now? I'll write that down as a new. Have you been attending a different congregation? No. Gluten allergies? No. Was it the new carpet? No. Was it Mildred? Who? Why did you leave our church? Oh, that. I'm done. Excuse me? I did it. What? Did, did what? Everything. All of it. I'm finished. Everything? Every what? Now I don't follow. Every program, every Bible study, every goal, every week, every challenge, all of them. A while ago, I found out that I was only doing so much, so I rolled up my sleeves, really buckled down, and I did it. Can you give me an example? You're familiar with these programs. I've conquered the seven mountains, crossed my Red Sea, burned my plows, defeated my Goliaths. My wife and I's sex life has never been better. Quite frankly, I don't need this place anymore. I've outgrown it. You've been listening to the smooth tones of cultural appropriation. Up next is the new hit single, Mama, I've Outgrown the Basement, by Cheeto Dust and the Neckbeards, featuring... Code Red Mountain Dew. <laughs> Is that so? Yep. Well, I know a place for people like you. Those who are particularly gifted have been sent in the past to a certain Divinity Academy where... Oh, you mean Rex Quando, right? Yeah, I tested out of there well back. You what? I graduated valedictorian with a focus on reverse tongues. I, 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 I don't... I, uh, uh, here's my license and my achievement card. <gasps> The legends are true. Yeah, after that I discovered anointings, mastered them, and partnered with Chanel to make my own line of anointing oils. You sell them in your foyer next to the coffee shop. You made the Balanus Bonicle anointing oil? The very same. Mr. Duncan, I know this may be hard to understand, but life can be difficult. <laughs> I know that you may theme on top right now. 
but we can go through seasons of wealth and prosperity, only to then be struck down again in the next season. <laughs> I would have to ask you to reconsider your position as our services can be very helpful during trying times. Oh, I get you, Gary. And you don't need to worry about me. I actually just finished my prophetic almanac. It accurately predicts every season of my life from now until next year. I would have written more, but my pen ran out of ink. I promise I won't be needing your help anytime soon. But, 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 but what about any unexpected uh, 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 births? You know, spiritual birthings have been very popular lately. We offer a variety of services, including... The My Mystical Miracle and Me Spiritual Birthing Lamaze Course? Yes! Wait, I wrote that book. You didn't? Yes. The Emmaus Walk? Did it twice, the second time blindfolded, just for the challenge. Holy portals! <laughs> Actually use one to get here. Saves on gas. Still small voice. Oh, we do duet night down at the karaoke bar once a month. Uh, here's my picture on Instagram of us winning the trophy. Ah! You might have heard our hit signal. Three words repeated 50 times with a soft piano. That's my ringtone! It went platinum! Twice. No! That has to be something you haven't done. Something you still need to do. There's no way you could actually finish it all. Have you... Have you... No. You've done that. Did you... No. No, you... Ha! 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 You haven't gone on your Jericho march. Marched around your enemies, pillaged the city, and destroyed all their gods. I wrote a post about it five days ago. You should really follow my blog. <laughs> I'm back. It was all just a bad dream. <laughs> what a nightmare. I'm safe under house arrest. <laughs> oh, sweet ankle monitor. How I miss you. <laughs> Did I mention I'm very good at dream moonwalking? <laughs> Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err 
is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. We're back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that Christianity and sanctification might, just might, have something to do with the forgiveness of sins. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, lowest rank, is uh, Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, you can click on the Become a Patron button. And, of course, if you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, coming back to the sermon, when we last left off, Jamie Austin was basically giving us some advice about setting boundaries as uh, as uh, you know people who are married and not friending our old high school sweethearts on uh, Facebook and things like that, which again is you know a, a smart thing to do. Uh, but we're noting here that uh, this is super heavy on law, and we're not hearing about law and gospel, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is more like uh, a sermon Well, ding, that is uh, focused on, uh, well, sin prevention, if you would. Let's get back to the sermon. Here we go. Boundaries, okay? Married people, you don't have to friend your ex from high school. Hashtag dumb. Hello? Well, Jamie, I'm just trying to be kind. Well, you know what? Be kind to him when you get to heaven. Leave him alone! Married people! Write this down. Two words. Act married. Everybody with me here today? I would hope that uh, married people do more than act like they're married. Well, that woman's going to think I'm being rude. So what?! Hello, I love you. You love me. Set boundaries. Well, Jamie, the world's going to think I'm crazy. Paul says this, that the, the way of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Of uh, yeah, yeah, he didn't say the way of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
Now, the text in question, the one that he's quoting, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and it is not the way of the cross, as if somehow the way of the cross is, you know, something like <laughs> some kind of, you know, the, it's, uh, the way of the sword, the way of, uh, you know, you kind of pick the thing, you know, some kind of Eastern practice or something like that, as if the way of the cross is a, is a philosophy of life. That's not really quite what's going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you look at that with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, here's what the Apostle Paul says. I appeal to you, brothers, I'm at verse 10. Verse 18 is the one in question. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Uh, and so you, you get the idea of what's going on here. And Paul says, I'll just fast forward but to verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And here's then the, the passage itself. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved the word of the cross, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Mm -hmm. which is a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your, bro your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Uh, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise." God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then chapter 2 continues with the same theme talking about the word of the cross and he says and when i came to you brothers i did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of god with lofty speech or wisdom for i decided to know nothing among you except for jesus christ and him crucified so it doesn't say the way of the cross it says the word of the cross and the word of the cross has something to do with christ bleeding and dying for our sins calling us to repent and to be forgiven we continue of course, this whole Jesus thing doesn't make sense to the world anyway. Of course, they are going to think we are crazy. I would rather be thought of as crazy than wreck my life. Amen? Our greatest weakness is... I would rather be called crazy than wreck my life. The issue is... Each and every one of us is already born dead in trespasses and sins, and as it relates to eternal life, we've already wrecked it. Hmm. Nigh our weakness.
I had a high school coach and he had this saying, whenever we would come out and we would practice in, in, you know, just some days you don't feel like practicing. And we would kind of be lazy and running sprints or, do, or doing whatever. And he would pull us all together because we thought we were a pretty good team. He'd pull us all together. He'd, he'd always say this. He would say, anybody can be beaten on any given day. And what he was trying to say was this. If the conditions are right, anybody can get beat. And what I have found that Satan is the master at putting the perfect storm together. You have a fight with your spouse. You're tired. You're angry. And the secretary just seems to understand. Things aren't going well at work. And he sends an affirming message on Facebook. Conditions are right. And that's called temptation. And we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. And that being said, I'm just telling you, the number of people listening even to this podcast have given in to that temptation. And so this, this horse has already left the barn. What am I challenging us with here today? We have got to acknowledge our weakness. Our sinfulness. Amen? Unless your name is Jesus, begins with Jesus and ends with Christ. You and I are not perfect. Amen? We have to acknowledge it. We have to pay attention. We have to, we have to, we have to put ourselves in the right place and avoid those compromising situations. Yeah, but what about the, uh, the fellow or the gal who, uh, well put themselves in a compromising situation and ended up more than compromising, but flat out sinning. The consequences of David's mistake literally affected every area of his life from this day on. What else would David say? David would say this, our greatest source of strength is relationship. Um, where did David say that? Verse 1 says this, in the springtime, in the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. Joab was his nephew, but ultimately was the commander of his army. David, the king's men, were his mighty men, those who were closest to him, those who had been with him through the most difficult battles. And then the next layer, the entire king's army. David, for whatever reason, strategically separated himself from everyone who had say in his life. Now, if you've come here for any length of time, you hear us talk till we are blue in the face about getting in a family group, about coming on Wednesday nights, about going to a, a, a one of our many Bible studies. We got ladies, ladies love the Bible around here, okay? We got Bible studies going on all the time, okay? Get in one, all right? Uh, we, a men's Bible study. In fact, Pastor Dave, Pastor Jerry are going to be starting one right here this Wednesday night. Get in relationship. If you're a young couple right now, you, you, man, you're newlyweds. You're just having kids. We got a young couple Sunday school class that's meets, that meets right here on Sunday morning. In fact, during this service hour. If only David had a small group. He, the whole Bathsheba thing wouldn't have happened. Uh-huh. Right now, you need to get involved. What am I trying to say? Make an effort. 
Make an effort. Well, you say, Jamie, it's just kind of hard. You know, my spouse doesn't connect very well. How many of you blame stuff on your spouse? Don't raise your hand. Okay, let's not, let's not put that one back. Um, my spouse doesn't connect very well, you know, this and that. We, we are so good. At some point in time, we have to eliminate our excuses. In fact, write this down if you're taking notes. If it's hard to find a right relationship, listen, be around right relationships until you are in right relationships. You have to make an effort. Well, Jamie, it's just hard to connect. Has that ever dawned on you that maybe people are insecure and nervous? The same things you feel, everybody else feels. We have to make an effort to get in right relationship. Why? Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man or woman sharpens another. Yeah, it says that. Again, this is, I mean, really law-heavy. We're not hearing anything about the forgiveness that was granted, given to David, the absolution he received from the prophet Nathan, no mention of uh, of Psalm 51 at this point. And so, you know, again, I keep pointing out, there's a whole lot of people who are listening to this who've sinned in the ways that uh, Jamie is describing here. And th- at this point, I'm just wondering, are you just going to let them despair, or are you going to preach Christ and the word of the cross? We need to be sharpened. And God uses the mechanism of relationship more than anything else. In fact, right now, our greatest successes and our greatest failures have probably been in the context of a relationship. Somebody say, amen. So let's make right relationships. Let's, let's make an effort. In fact, Solomon laments over the perils of isolation when he says this, if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. I love what Charles Swindoll said. He said, David should have been with Joab. David was in bed when he should have been in battle. If you're here today and you're going through a battle, you are not out of the will of God. I have found that every one of us kind of need a little battle going on all the time. It keeps us dependent on the Lord. But you say, Jamie, I'm weary, I'm tired, understand this, we already have the victory. In fact, I had a mentor of mine say this moment, he was actually talking in the area of lust. He says, listen, it's a battle we will win, but it's a battle we will fight our entire life. Fight! Keep your guard up! And stay in the right context of relationship. The Bible over and over talks about the perils and dangers of those who willfully separate themselves from the body of Christ. We are a growing church. Aren't you thankful for that? Okay. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I, I had somebody come in the other day. They, they've, they've come for a long time. They said, Pastor Jamie, I just don't feel like I know anybody anymore. I'm like, join the club. But we're working on it. Amen? Say amen like you mean it. Amen. David would want us to know this, that no one is unsinkable. No one is unsinkable. Some time ago, I got a, man, I got a bad cold, and I have a friend who's a doctor, and he said, hey, I'm going to call you in some, some cough medicine. It's going to help you sleep. It's going to help break that stuff up. 
Okay, another personal story from Jamie's life. Man, it was some good stuff. And it was great. And it really helped. And like a year later, I kind of got a cold again. And I called him and I said, in fact, he's probably watching today. Chad, I'm not using it. I said this, can I still use that cough medicine? He said, no, no, no. He said, um, it's lost its potency probably. Didn't work. Don't you wish sin was that way? That it would just lose its potency over time? I've found that sin... All right, cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique. The whole purpose of the technique is to create, to manufacture the impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience and and uh, basically trying to get people to get busy making a decision. And apparently the decision here is to uh, not make a stupid mistake, although there's, these should be called sins, and uh, don't shipwreck your life. So far, the only mention we've heard of the cross is it not even mentioned properly when he referred to it as the way of the cross rather than the word of the cross, but no meaningful uh, discussion at all of Christ dying, bleeding, suffering in our place, uh, taking on the wrath of God so that we could be pardoned and forgiven. There's been no meaningful discussion about that by Jamie at all, at least to this point in the sermon. It doesn't lose its potency, but the more I walk by faith and walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to withstand. It doesn't lose its potency. David would say this, that no one is unsinkable. Scholars tell us that at this point in time in David's life, David was up in years, maybe in his 50s, maybe even in his 60s. I mean, David would have got his AARP card in the mail. (laughs) David's all rolling up in McDonald's getting his senior coffee. In his 50s? Uh, I gotta challenge that. If we put it in our terminology, he should have been past this already. No one's unsinkable. David also, historians tell us that the Ammonites were like the last people group that he had to subdue that was it and he'd already beaten them back to their city it was their last stand david had no problem taking cities like this he'd done it many times before but david changed his mode of operation this battle should have been a slam dunk he wins this and the nation knows complete peace What am I trying to say? Maybe some of you are here today and you're in that battle right now. Can I just challenge you? Stand strong. Trust the Lord. Stay around the people of God. Stay in right relationship. Stay dependent on him. And it could be a breakthrough into what God has for your life. So notice he's preaching on what could have happened rather than what did happen. He's not exegeting the text. Now we're speculating. Mm Mm-hmm. That's no way to properly handle uh, a biblical text, especially in this way. Yes, it's tough. 
The Apostle Paul says this to the Corinthian church. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will, aren't you thankful for the faithfulness of God? He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up underneath it. Do you know what? Yeah, that's a great promise. And that requires you to act in faith. And yet, despite these promises of Christ, there are so many Christians, almost all of them, who have been tempted in horrible ways and have given in to those temptations. Paul is saying, he says this, anything that you and I are being tempted with right now, it's nothing new, it's nothing special. Keep trusting me. I asked my son if it was okay to use this story some time ago, um, well, let me just back up. Um, I grew up with a dad that part of our evening ritual was to wrestle in the living room floor. So when I had a son, there were some rituals I was glad to pass on, and wrestling was one of them. And it was fun. My son's 15, high school football player couple months ago we're in the kitchen and I start messing with him you know let's wrestle then I grabbed him because it's fun we have fun I grabbed him the problem is he grabbed back (laughs) a whole new world okay sorry I'm telling you something my little Wyatt wasn't my little Wyatt anymore. And I learned something. It's called the dad pass. That when your son hits a certain age, uh, you don't have to fight fair anymore. <laughs> so the fight was on. And I'm grabbing and twisting and poking and... <sighs> Finally, I let him let him go. <laughs> Actually, I think he got bored. Um, I'm like, that was a good one. That was a good one. He walks out of the room, and I'm like, <sighs> what was that? <laughs> I was telling my dad about this, and my dad's like, <laughs> you're old. Welcome. What was fun was no longer fun anymore. And <laughs> Listen, maybe you're here today and you've been wrestling with something and it's been fun. The Bible says sin's fun for a season. Mm. <laughs> so the wrestling match between him and his son has turned into the wrestling match uh, against sin. Okay. You've been wrestling with something and it's... Are you going to say anything significant about Christ's death on the cross for our sins? Knocking on the door of your sobriety. You're you're wrestling with something and it's knocking on the door of your marriage. You're wrestling with something and it's knocking on the door of your reputation. You're wrestling on with something and it and it's just it's it's all of a sudden it's not fun anymore. Something that you used to have a hold of now has a hold of you. 
the strongest thing we can do is admit our weakness and come running to the one who saved us. Okay, yes, Jesus saved us, please. There are three minutes left in the sermon. Uh-huh. We ha- <laughs> we are that far into this, and we are rapidly heading towards the end of it, and you've just mentioned the one who saved us, and in order to tease this out proper, you're going to have to hold the forgiveness of sins won by the one who saved us. Hold it up. Talk about his death on the cross. Uh, you know, Call people to trust in this forgiveness won by Jesus, to believe his promises for pardon and mercy and grace, even for the ones who have shipwrecked themselves by sinning, not mistaking, but sinning against God. And come running to the one who can heal, who can strengthen, who can bring peace, who can... Uh, who can heal and strengthen and bring peace. Uh, how about the one who forgives? Wisdom, who can bring as iron sharpens iron relationships. But church family, we've got to acknowledge that we are sinkable. Sinners. Not sinkable, that we are sinners. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me today? I just want to pray with you. So apparently uh, we're now to the bow your heads part. And again, notice Jamie hasn't preached the gospel at all. You're with us this weekend. Maybe you're watching online and you'd say, Jamie, I've been wrestling with something and maybe you've already lost. All right, there it is. There it is. You've wrestled with something and already lost. Two minutes, 24 seconds left in the sermon. It's almost an afterthought at this point. Maybe you know you're about to lose. And you'd be honest and say, I, I, if I'm going to be successful, if I'm going to avoid the shipwreck in my life, I need to say yes to Jesus. You, you, why? What exactly is Jesus offering at this point? I'm asking a very direct question here today. If you're here today and you are not a child of God, I didn't ask if you had religion. I didn't ask if your grandma brought you to church and you were baptized when you were a kindergartner. I'm asking, do you have a relationship where Jesus is Lord of your life? Uh, again, um, what about the forgiveness of sins? Notice the emphasis is all about you. Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Um, is that going to deal with the ways in which I have fallen short that you've surrendered your decisions and you're con- surrendered your decisions uh-huh all of your life to him and you are forgiven of your sin if you're here today you'd say Jamie I need to say yes to Jesus why not do it today say yes to him why not now I feel like I'm getting a used car salesman pitch at the end here 
I know, I know what you're thinking already. You're watching online. You're thinking, you know, I, I got all these details I got to work out because that means I got to sever this relationship. That means I got to do this. I gotta, no, no. Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, he who begins a good work will be faithful to carry it on or to work it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All our job is to do is to say yes to Jesus by faith. If you're with us today, our job is to say yes to Jesus. What am I saying yes to exactly? Say, Jamie, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to leave here knowing that I am a child of God, that I am forgiven, that I am a work. Uh, Mention of forgiveness in passing. I need to know that I'm forgiven. How? By what means? How did Jesus, how does he offer forgiveness? progress like everyone else that my name is written in the lamb's book of life here today listen if that's you on the count of three i just want you to raise your hand up put it right back down i'm not going to trick you i'm not going to i'm not going to so he's basically trying to get them to do something issue we're all going to pray if you say jamie that's me i'm saying yes to jesus today here we go one two three that's me thank you thank you again why Are they saying yes to him? For what purpose? Anybody else? You can put them down. Anybody else? If you're watching online, there's somebody there ready to pray with you right now. Anybody else? So they're making a decision. Forgiveness was just mentioned, but not even remotely explained. Hallelujah. Would everybody pray this prayer with me? And if you're saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus, just mean it from your heart. Let me lead you today. Here we go. All right. So notice if there's going to be forgiveness in this prayer, it's not being offered to any Christians in the room. Forgiveness is only being offered to those unbelievers who haven't yet said yes to Jesus. So whatever's coming in this prayer, if it talks about forgiveness and mercy and grace or anything that Jesus has done, it's not for anybody who's already a Christian. It is only for an unbeliever who, for the first time right now, is saying, quote-unquote, yes to Jesus, whatever that means. Everyone say, dear Jesus, you are the Son of God. You died for me. All right, so, but this is only for the unbeliever, not the believer. In my place... For my sin. Come into my life. Forgive me. And make me new. And from this day forward. With your help. I'm all yours. In your name I pray. Amen. All right. Amen. So there you go. No meaningful discussion at all. Of what Christ has done for us. And at the very end. The only people who received forgiveness from Jesus were those who were making a first-time decision for making Jesus the Lord of their life, as if that's how someone becomes a Christian anyway, and that's not. So, total confusion of law and gospel, and a a deplorable preaching of only the law, uh, behavior modification, sin prevention, and then a slight mention of those who may have already made bad decisions and mistakes, and a prayer for those who, for the first time, are asking to make Jesus the Lord of their life. At least they heard something about Christ bleeding and dying for their sins. This is deplorable.
This is not Christian preaching, and this is not a meaningful preaching of Christ, nor was this a meaningful preaching of Christian and biblical sanctification. This was something completely different. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>